2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. The prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When I was a boy in high school, um, a student went out into the middle of the playground and shouted out in front of everybody, with his arms raised high, God, if you're real, strike me down now. And to his satisfaction, nothing happened. I told you there's no God, he smirked as he went back to his friends. Now, Christians, how can you be sure Jesus is the real deal? I mean, it's one thing not to trifle in life, but only if it's all worth not trifling over. Sometimes I thought, wouldn't it be great if God made himself clearer? Miraculous words in the sky. Voices from heaven that says, I'm here. Jesus really is my son. When we went to, when I used to do scripture in a high school, I asked some of the students, what would it take for you to believe there is a God? Many of them already did believe in a God. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is the son of God and we need to trust in him? And so they had all kinds of things. He'd be a bit like Zeus, maybe, and he'd have these powers. And Not knowing that I was leading them into the gospel and say, well, actually, some of the things you're describing happened that way. But sometimes, don't we want God to make things a little bit clearer? Just a little bit more modern-day evidence for Dawkins or Hitchens and others. And we might, a lot of the time, not really worry about that question. We just float along. But the question might become particularly important when we're struggling. Perhaps going through a period where ministry is just hard or tiring and painful, and you just wonder, is it worthwhile? Is this really the best way of using my life? Does this gospel really matter? Uh, why am I doing this again? Uh, perhaps crying out to God and feeling like looking around, the prayers don't seem to go beyond the ceiling. You're on your own, you poor wretch. And our God, an invisible and imaginary friend. So is he a near, an invisible and imaginary friend, or is he a near, powerful and good God? Now for non-Christians this is an important question, very important. For Christians too it's vitally important. Because our certainty is like the engine room of everything that flows out of it. 
And so the question I think this passage helps us with is, how can we be sure Jesus is the real deal? How can we be sure Jesus is the real deal? And Peter gives us two levels of evidence here. He points us to two witnesses. The first eyewitness is the eyewitness testimony of Peter and his friends. He says there in verse 16, he didn't invent this. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. See how his language is still stretching to try to reach God. Honour, glory, majestic glory. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. According to Peter, there has been a voice from heaven. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. You've got to know something, Peter says, before I do leave this tent of a body. You've got to be certain that this is no fabrication. We didn't sit together in a planning session, carefully concocting a fable to deceive the masses. We're not storytellers, we're eyewitnesses, verse 16. There was a voice from heaven, verse 18. We ourselves, he's labouring here again, we ourselves heard this very voice. We were with him on what I now call the holy mountain because of Psalm 2's prophecy. Talking about uh, the sun on the holy hill. Now just try to imagine what it might have been like for Peter on that day when Jesus' transfiguration happened. There's... There were three of us, Peter might tell us. James, John and myself. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is changed, transfigured. His appearance changes, his face shines. Not like a suntan, but actually it was more like the sun itself. His clothes became white as light. And then Moses, of all people, and Elijah, the two greats of the scriptures, were there talking with Jesus. Extraordinary. I mean, how can you put those events into words? This is Peter's attempt. The God of Moses, who wrote the law. The God of Elijah, who represents all the prophets. God declared that day to his people in the past, before his people in the present, for his people like us in the future. And what's his message for the world? Peter recalls all those years later. Perhaps 30 years later. But still clear as crystal. Look at verse 17. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Creation, hear me. Old Testament saints, Apostolic witnesses, future generations, hear me. This is my son. I love him. You can trust him. He is the key. Here I am. 
God has entered his playground. Peter could stand it no longer. We read that he fell to the ground absolutely terrified. Absolutely overwhelmed in his senses by these events. And of course it was unforgettable. I mean, I I can remember fairly trivial things of my childhood. And Peter might say, how could we ever look at Jesus the same way again? Imagine the meal that night. Jesus, could you pass the salt? And yet that's Peter's privilege to live with this God-man as his best friend. When I was a pastor, I'd visit a nursing home each week as part of Presbyterian Aged Care up in Walker. They have a, a small facility there. And I became really good friends, to my surprise, with a man in his 90s. I expected to go and, and uh, serve there. I just didn't expect to become such a good friend with this man called Ron. It's one of those relationships God just brings out of the woodwork sometimes. Just brings two people together. And I'd go in there and he'd say, David, David. And he'd call me over and we'd, we'd, we'd have a chat. Or I'd read the paper to him because his, his sight wasn't great, but he loved to hear the news. Ron's father was shot in World War I, I think shot in the foot and came back. Uh, Ron was shot in World War II in the foot and, and came back. And one day the local school that our children were going to, there were 19 kids in the school, they asked Ron if he would come and just share some stories about Ron's childhood as an, a way that kids can learn about old Australia. And so Ron began, when I was five or six, about your age, my mum and dad gave me some little chicks on the farm. And it was my job to look after these little chicks. I loved those chicks. They'd run around looking for little buds and scratching around. And I loved looking after them and being responsible for them. And one day in their area, I saw there was a big rock on the ground. And I thought, I bet there's some nice little grubs and worms even under there. And so he said he went over and he, he picked up the rock And sure enough, the little chicks went under and were feeding on the little bugs. He said the problem was that rock was was heavy. And my little arms and my little legs started shaking as I was holding the rock and I couldn't even move away with the rock. And all I could do was drop the rock on my precious little chicks. All the kids at this stage are just... (laughs) In shock, not sure what to do. Ron had tears in his eyes as he kind of laughed about it, but it was still upsetting him. The emotion still affecting him. 90 years later. Such a vivid memory. And this was just about some chicks. Ron never forgot. How much more, Peter? Only 30, 35 years later, never going to forget what he saw that day and his life never going to be the same again. I saw what I saw. I know what I know. I know you're established in the truth, he says in verse 12. But don't listen to those who doubt or dismiss Jesus. That's the context in which 2 Peter's written. Skeptics, doubters, mockers of Christians. Those who call Jesus coming and power, verse 16, just a myth. 
Whatever anyone else might tell you about Jesus, while I still have breath to tell you, let me tell you. We ourselves heard, verse 18, majesty, honour, glory from the majestic glory himself. Lying face down, remember the voice. Let my memory be yours. That's what the apostolic witness is all about. That we learn and experience even what the apostles experienced and learnt. His power is no myth, nor is his coming. Be warned, kiss the sun, Psalm 2. Don't mock him. Don't mock him. And Peter says, while our testimony is absolutely trustworthy, we saw what we saw, and you can take us at our word, your confidence need not only rest on our testimony. God has given you another reason for confidence that stands the test of time even better than our testimony. Look with me at verse 19. And this for me as a teenager, when I was having doubts, these were really... Uh, this point that Peter's making here has been really helpful to me. He says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it. One of those great understatements of Scripture. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 19 more literally reads, And we have the made more sure prophetic word. What does that mean? It means the truths of the scriptures, the Old Testament, have been further validated. You had reason already to trust in them. Uh, to know God's word is always trustworthy. But how much more now that all of the things that they have prophesied match the things that we are testifying about? They've been validated, vindicated, proven true. Why? Because the Christ they predicted has now come. Now, most of us realise the Old Testament prepares us to understand the New. But fewer realise, and here's the point, these Christ events show the credibility of all of the Old Testament which predicted them. And God wants you to be sure that Jesus can be trusted. I had a conversation just uh, during this week with a man who was giving me the normal rubber bullets approach to rejecting Jesus. Uh, it's um, one of many religions. Uh, you can't trust the early, early documents. Um, what was another one? Science now has displaced God. He's the God of the gaps. I call it the rubber bullet arguments because each one isn't overly penetrating, but together they, they can combine to be enough for people. And so I was seeking to share with this friend some of the sentiments right here. So Peter says, uh, it's working both ways. God has made this word unmistakably self-authenticating. And so I said to this friend, Scripture is self-authenticating for anyone if you really want to know whether Jesus is the real deal or not. And this, this man had a relative who was a Christian who was trying to understand it. If you really want to know, you'll find the scriptures are self-authenticating. And we'll look at what Peter means by that more. 
I'm trying to think of a good illustration for this. You might be able to help me. Um, the way God has made the Old and New Testament validate each other. It goes both ways. What comes to mind is something like a James Bond movie where they need two keys to turn at the same time after getting through the fingerprints. And then the, the button can be pressed for something significant. Or maybe two boys arguing over a bike. One's a thief and the other is the bike's real owner. The policeman asks the thief, well, whose bike is this? The thief says, well, it's mine. Can you prove it? No, I can't, but neither can he. He turns to the real owner, well, what do you say? Well, you could call my family. They could describe the bike to you. They gave it to me for Christmas. And so the policeman calls the boy's parents. Have a situation here. Can you describe your son's bike to us? And they describe it in perfect detail. And they said, too, you can have a look under the seat if you like. It's got his name on it with his happy birthday message. Clear testimony matching a previously written record. Uh, when I went through Singapore Airport, um, I needed a thumbprint, photo was taken for a face recognition match, as well as my passport. With those three levels, they let you through. We're satisfied, this is David. Go on through. Something like that is happening in the way God has designed it. He knows we are reasoning creatures. He gives us good reason to trust Him. Faith is not blind faith. It's well-reasoned and grounded. So Peter says, not only is our, faith, our message based on eyewitness accounts, it's based also on the scriptures that predicted it. Centuries ahead of time. All of it. Promise that leads to fulfilment. Another promise that leads to another fulfilment. Another promise that leads to another fulfilment. Up on our church hall, I had something like 300 references to Jesus that are fulfilled later in Scripture. It all rings beautifully true for the whole world to see. Let earth receive her king. And God has very deliberately made it that way. I mean, no historian, that was my area of study, ancient history, no historian would deny that books like Isaiah are written centuries before Jesus' coming. And so we might lovingly ask those mocking Christ, whether it's in a university hall or a playground. Friend, how do you explain these prophecies? How could these things be unless God orchestrated it? What do you mean? Well, were these prophets just having random lucky guesses when they said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and yet escape to Egypt? but be described as one coming from Galilee? Was it just a fluke that they predicted Christ's ancestry of Judah, of David? Were they mad and yet proven true in their madness when they predicted the virgin birth? I mean, who predicts something like that? Were the prophecies about his miracles, his power, his humility, his healing, all an amazing guess? That Jesus being Emmanuel, somehow both God and man, a crazy premonition in a religion that believes in only one God that turns out to be true as we learn of the Trinity. The way Christ would die, an amazing guest, 
pierced for our transgressions and yet without a broken bone, as one cursed upon a tree way back in Deuteronomy. All lucky guesses that Jesus would not see decay, but raised from death, a daring, crazy, but again, lucky guess. That God's people would be visibly filled en masse, made up of all nations, filled with the Holy Spirit, a lucky guess. That the gospel news of Jesus would be embraced by people of all nations, as is happening before us, a lucky guess. You see, it's one thing even to create to write a story with such outlandish predictions. But to actually see God pull it off, to see it all take place before the world's eyes, to watch the disciples gradually have the pennies drop, a human book, rational scoffer, that doesn't sound very rational to me. Come on, read it. Read it with me. I'd love to show you these things. You mock me for being a Christian. Show me what you've got. Show me the wonder of your position. Friends, this gospel has has God's fingerprints all over it. It's indisputably his work, just as God intended. The boy in the playground, now about my age, If he really wants to know if God is real, he need look no further than a Bible, which is in hotel drawers all around the world. Peter says, verse 19, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Brothers and sisters, you'll do well to pay attention to that testimony, to enjoy it, to savour it. I'm working through Isaiah at the moment. I said, there's Jesus. There he is again. There he is again. It's preparing me for Jesus. And so I feel like Mary, who hears the news of having Jesus, and she, she stores up these things in her heart and ponders them. <clears throat> Food for our faith. I just love how Scripture stands today, carved into history for all the world to see and read and humble themselves before. I love how it's 2018, so even the world's calendars bow before the coming of the Son of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a life unto my path. Lamp, light, offering glimpses. But with Jesus coming, the spotlight just blasts the room, knocks Peter onto the ground. Peter says, until the day dawns, verse 19, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, Difficult verses. Perhaps referring to the way now Jesus' testimony shed light further still into our hearts. As the Holy Spirit, as another witness, testifies to the truth of the gospel. As we know it right to call God Father, which is an irrational thing to do without the Spirit. So we have that inner testimony and Jesus one day will be revealed to our eyes. Brothers and sisters, I ask how confident are you as you face the world with your faith? Sometimes I feel like reading the Bible. I'm an introvert, fairly shy by nature. But I'm learning to sit on the train or the bus and pull my Bible out 
with a sense of pride. Not pride in myself, but pride in it. What a book. What a revelation. And growing in confidence to want people to talk to me about it. Ask me about this book, why I'm reading it. I'd love to share it with you. Does your doctrine of Scripture, your confidence in it, mean that you're doing justice to your Bible studies if you're leading one? If you're leading or or teaching Sunday school, do your kids realise the conviction you have in the things you teach? Not as nice stories, but as windows into the glory of Jesus as you present him. People sense not only what you say, but the conviction with which you say it. Every time you share your faith, that's coming through, your confidence in the message. And Peter and God himself wants us to know that our confidence is sensible. It's rational. It's historically reasonable. But don't all religions have similar grounds for belief? No, they don't. I've got a Quran on my bookshelf and it just reads like a set of prophecies. They don't even claim to be doing what the Bible does, let alone do it. 1,400 years of composition, around 40 authors, one unfolding story somehow. It goes through kingdoms and and kings, all grounded in history so that the world would see. You know, a lot of cultures are are wrapped up in artwork. Egypt, for example, you can see their paintings and... Uh, lots of pottery. The Jewish people weren't like that so much. They were people of the word, of the book. I was explaining to a Gospels class last week, that's not by accident. It's so that we can inherit the words that the people of the word wrote and emphasised. We have a record of God's workings throughout history. Brothers, he says, as a result of this, Brothers and sisters, verse 20, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. That should be really obvious by now, I think Peter wants us to know. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How are people writing Scripture? How are people writing God's words as they wrote? John Stott says, it's not that they were human typewriters but that the words they wrote were simultaneously God's and theirs. I take it as something like when Peter stands up to preach in the book of Acts. He's preaching a message from his heart. And he's preaching a message that is full of God's spirit and full of truth. Now is that Peter's, they Peter's words or God's? Yes, they're Peter's words and God's. And the same thing happens through Scripture. This is no human book. This is no man-made religion. This must be, as Peter says in verse 21, this must be from God. There's no other explanation. The Creator who saves is also very good at testifying about Himself. Be assured, friends, the Jesus you love and worship truly is this glorious Son of God. When we had young children living in Mongolia, we used to take them down to Beijing sometimes, just for either holidays or in transit. And I remember we went to the Beijing Zoo. Next to our little children, 
Remember noticing how big the lions were. They are enormous. Their heads and legs, even their feet are enormous. I love seeing the lions, but I'm always really glad to see the cages there, or the glass. I love lions from a distance. When writing about the Bibles, for Spurgeon, lions came to mind. Defend the Bible? I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You open its cage and let it roar. Pay attention, verse 19, to it. Understand its origins, verse 20. Is Jesus the real deal? We can be absolutely certain that he is. Well, again, let's close in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you that as we mature in Christ, we have the great privilege and joy of growing in confidence in your word. When we first come to faith, we may have little idea of why we trust it, why it rings true. But as we grow, we see the majesty of your word, the brilliance of your plan. Uh, not only your word and your plan, but the execution of it. Showing not only your power over kingdoms and nations, over human history, over kings' hearts. But Father, much more than that, we see your depth of love for humanity and for us. That you would so engage with our world in revealing yourself to us that you would at the same time save us. By bearing our rebellion upon yourself. We thank you not only for Jesus as your word, testimony from you, but as our Saviour. And we rejoice in him this day. Forgive us for our lack of confidence in you and the things you say. And we pray tomorrow and this day would be different. That we'd be those who stand confidently upon your promises and upon your word. And with confidence in the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.